You know, today we're continuing the sermon series we started uh, a few weeks ago, and we call this sermon series Fixed and Free. And we're addressing this week the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about Jesus, and, and we're talking about, in, in large part, our church, the United Methodist Church, and where we are right now trying to point to the fact that we have so much in common as a denomination, even in the midst of talk of our church dividing. I want to remind us today about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit moved over chaos of creation and brought life in order to be. The Holy Spirit filled the tabernacle and the temple that we've been talking about as a sign of God's presence. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come after his ascension into heaven to be the living presence and power of Christ. And the Holy Spirit came on the believers at Pentecost in the symbols of presence and power, wind and fire. And the Holy Spirit birthed the church of Jesus Christ and marked from its beginning a universal, all-are-welcome diversity. The Holy Spirit creates, stabilizes, and clarifies God's, for God's people, who we are called to be as the church. And whether we're talking about Jesus sharing living water with the Samaritan woman or whether we're talking about Philip and him baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, the African person, or whether we're talking about Paul baptizing Lydia and the other women, European women who gathered there praying by the creek. The church was meant to be people from all walks of life, all nations, meant to be multicultural and diverse. And Peter, the leader of the church, came to that understanding as well, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment when we read our Scripture passage. I want to say this morning about the Holy Spirit, that, and it grieves me to have to say this, but more division has taken place over the Holy Spirit in Christendom and the filling of one with the Holy Spirit than perhaps any other theological belief. The Methodist Church divided in 1844, north and south, largely over issues related to slavery. And the Methodist Church, north and south, splintered in the 1800s related to matters concerning the Holy Spirit. So the creed that we read earlier today from the World Methodist Conference is a a conference or council that brings in all of the Methodist groups that broke apart largely in the 1800s. I'm talking about the Wesleyan Church and the Nazarene Church and the Church of God, just to name a few. And what was mainly the issue was issues of lifestyle and modest dress and speaking in tongues and these kinds of matters that splintered the church. So my pointed question for us United Methodists this morning is who can be holy? Who can be holy? 
Let's take this question, who can be holy? And I'd like for us to address this issue from our Judeo-Christian faith lineage. A holy lifestyle was largely part, in part determined by what one could eat related to our early history. The dietary laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy set distinguishing marks that carried into temple practice. And it wasn't just about what one ate, but the sacrifices of animals in the temple and even tabernacle worship as well. Which animals could be um, considered worthy of of sacrifice were those same animals that you could eat. So who is welcome in the church of Jesus Christ? What about Gentiles who desire to be Christians? You know, today it seems like we, we discuss who can become our brand of Christian or what is sinful practice. Today, most would base sinful practice on what is in the Bible determined to be sin. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, sinful practice, we don't just pull that out of the air. We we get it from the Bible. And what the Bible says is sin. The problem is that we differ on what is in the Bible uh, clearly being sin. And what we have moved beyond and see that it is not sin anymore. Now, I had a breakfast meeting this week with three other of our leaders. It was on Thursday morning, and we ate breakfast together, and three of us sinned. We ate bacon and sausage without regret. And there was only one holy one in our midst who had turkey bacon. And in my opinion, he was the chief sinner of all. Sorry, Steve Anglin. Now, hear this temple persuasion text this morning. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter of Deuteronomy. I want us to read the first 20 verses of that 14th chapter. I'd like for us to stand for the reading of God's Word. You are children of the Lord your God, and you must not lacerate yourselves or shave your forelocks for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. It is you the Lord has chosen out of the peoples of the earth to be the people, His treasured possessions. You shall not eat abhorrent things. These are the animals that you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. Don't eat a camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not divide the hoof. They are unclean for you. And the pig 
because it divides the hoof but does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You shall not eat their meat and you shall not touch their carcasses. I've always thought that Moses might have misheard God on that pig thing. Of all that live in the water, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. Friends, that means catfish. Oh, that hurts. You may eat any bird, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. Don't eat an eagle or the vulture or an osprey or a buzzard or a kite or any kind of any kind. Uh, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, uh-oh, I've eaten ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk, and any other, the little owl, the great owl, the water hen, and the desert owl, and the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, and the hoopoe, and the bat. Don't eat a bat. And all winged creatures are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat any clean winged creature. The Word of God for the people of God. I'm going to let you sit down for this next one. From the tabernacle perspective, I want to turn to a great story in the Bible, the 10th chapter of Acts. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to talk about the whole chapter. You know, Acts is sometimes called the, um, the Acts of the Apostles, but some people refer to Acts as the Acts of uh, the, the, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is featured throughout the book of Acts. We know in the first half of that book, it's, it's Peter that's the main character. And in the latter half of the book, it's Paul who's the main character. But the Holy Spirit is the centering force that we celebrate in the book of Acts. Turn with me to the 10th chapter. We're going to just read the first 16 verses. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel who spoke to him had left he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared for him, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. 
And in it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow. I want to line out five scenes, the whole book of, or the whole chapter, 10th chapter of Acts. We read this first scene about three o'clock. Cornelius has this strange vision. He saw an angel that called him by name. And while stating that God had recognized his prayers, he wanted Cornelius to send people to Joppa to Simon Peter. Scene two, which we also read. The next day about noon, Peter received a strange vision also while he was praying on the roof. And in a dream, a sheet like a sail was lowered from heaven with all kinds of animals considered by the Jewish law to be unclean. And then God spoke and said, kill and eat. Peter said, no way, I'm not going to eat these unclean animals. God said, what I have made clean you must not call profane. Scene three, which we didn't read. If we'd have continued to read, we'd have read this. The two servants and the soldier sent by Cornelius, Cornelius arrive at Simon Peter's place and bring him back to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. So Peter goes with these uh, strangers back to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. And when he gets there, it's full of relatives and friends. It's a packed house. Scene four. Both Cornelius and Peter have had these visions, and both of them share with one another what God had told them. And they shared with the audience that had gathered. And then Cornelius begins to worship at Peter's feet. And Peter says, get up, man. I'm not a god. I am a man just like you. You. I'm a man just like you. Not better than. Not worse than. But just like you. And scene five, Peter began to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, he is Lord of all. Peter said, Jesus is Lord of all. And the Holy Spirit began to extol God upon the people and the people began to speak in tongues and a Holy Spirit revival broke out right there in the house of Cornelius. And so Peter said, can anyone withhold baptism from these who have received the Holy Spirit? 
And the answer to that is absolutely not. But here was Peter. These were uncircumcised Gentiles. These were Gentiles who didn't even know about the Levitical law. Who ate pig. But the Holy Spirit opened the door. And baptism marked them as family inside the house. Hear me? Peter preached a message that the Lord came for all. And the Holy Spirit came on them, opening the door, and Peter baptized them in saying, Family inside the house, you are. I want to ask another question this morning Who are your Gentiles? I think we all have them. Who are your Gentiles? I'm talking about those whom you really wonder if they can be part of us. Who are those whom you doubt that the Holy Spirit would ever fill? Who are your Gentiles? Now, I want us to know something this morning because I think it's biblical from the very beginning to the end. I think that I, I have good evidence for this, that the kingdom of God is coming. Do you believe it? You pray it every Sunday. And the kingdom of God coming will take away divisions among earth's people. will take away contention and war and competition and racial prejudice and distrust. All of this will come to an end. The kingdom of God is coming. And guess what? We, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are to be about the work of the kingdom. And Isaiah saw the deliverer coming to gather all nations and tongues. And Jeremiah, the prophet, envisioned a time when all nations will gather at Jerusalem. And Micah announced that many nations will go up to the mountain of the Lord. And Zechariah knew the Gentiles seeking God's favor and said, we cling to the shirt tails of the Jews to be dragged to God's presence if you have to. And Jesus seemed to make his point by including and mixing and mingling with Samaritans. And Peter saw the sign of baptism, even baptizing Gentiles. I read a story this week about an American soldier who died of his wounds in France during World War I. His comrades had taken him to a small little church in a small little village. And there the priest came out and they asked the priest if they could bury their fallen comrade there in the cemetery that was surrounding the little church. The priest said, 
Is he Catholic? They responded, no. Then, then you must bury him outside the fence. You can bury him right outside the fence of the cemetery. That, that will be okay, out, outside the fence. And so the soldiers dug the grave. They buried their fallen comrade just outside the fence. And the next morning, to pay their last respects, they came back to that little church and they found something very surprising. There was the fresh grave that they had just dug, but it wasn't outside the fence. It was now inside the fence. So they summoned the priest who said, I couldn't sleep last night. My conscience bothered me. So I rose in the middle of the night and I moved the fence so that this one who had died for France could be inside the fence. When I read that, I thought, Christ died for all people. And the Holy Spirit moved the fence. And the Holy Spirit has been about moving the fence for for a long, long time. The church has been dividing itself for a long, long time too. And the Bible is always used to accentuate the differences, to define the sin, and to justify the positions. But we can't forget the Holy Spirit. We seem to be ignoring many of the dietary laws as Scripture instructs because we believe, we Gentiles, that the Holy Spirit moved the fence. We do not stone on their father's doorstep young women who marry and are not virgins. The law tells us to do that. You take a a person who who marries and is not a virgin, if she's found to be on her wedding night, you take her to her father's doorstep and you stone her to death. We don't do that. The Holy Spirit moved the fence. We do not sacrifice animals as the Bible once instructed. It's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit moved the prophets, namely Micah, to speak about a a contrite heart. The Holy Spirit said that, that your sacrifice is your heart. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He broke the law. It's in the Bible. But Jesus told us the Holy Spirit moved the fence. Paul welcomed the uncircumcised because God called them clean and the Holy Spirit had already moved the fence. They were speaking in tongues. Back to the book of Acts. The latter half of the book. 
beyond Peter, now to Paul in his ministry, his missionary journeys. And throughout Paul's letters, as he established these early churches among the Gentiles, he was constantly writing them, and and the key word he was sharing with his churches as a pastor was unity. Paul described the church in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the fourth and the fifth verse. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And to his church at Galatia, in Galatians, the third chapter, the 28th verse, there is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female. We are all sisters and brothers. The Philippian letter points to two Christians who can't get along. I'm glad that doesn't ever happen in the church. Udiah and Sintiki. And he said, be of one mind. And then the Jerusalem council. Recorded in the 15th chapter of Acts. welcomed the Gentiles into the church, had a council to do so, decided among the council that it's okay. The Holy Spirit moved the fence. And in that 28th verse, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, to us we continue this series next week I want you to think about these matters of the Holy Spirit and who we as the church are called to reach I want us to be reminded that our fences and our walls are meant to separate and differentiate It just seems like to me, when when I read this book that I love, that the Holy Spirit is about moving fences in order to define who can be holy. Those who see that it is in Christ where we have our salvation. It is in Christ where we get our forgiveness of our sin. And through the mark of holiness, when we are changed, we can't help but be about what Micah said. This is the sacrifice. This is the mark of holiness. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Friends, I love that when we gather here on Sundays and when we mix and mingle in these hallways. I love what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing. May we continue to be the instruments 
the Holy Spirit uses to bring unity. Amen.